welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. What's going on, Kristen? How are you today? Oh, I'm good. You know, just meandering through February, trying Mm -hmm. to keep myself warm and inspired. I'm currently rereading The Spiral Dance, along with some obscure fairy tales right now. Also a book on Mary Magdalene, because, you know, books are life, especially during winter. But I know you just got back from the Invoke retreat at the Melange with Shelby and Riss and Maria the Arcane and so many other amazing humans. And it just looked so special and cozy. So what was that experience like? Mm, yeah, you know, it was it was truly wonderful. I, I haven't been in a group setting like that for quite some time. And, you know, I think it was just truly a reminder of the collective, you know, your classic Aquarius season lover's year lessons. And, you know, hello to my new friends from the retreat who I know listen to the podcast. Um, I actually talked with a small group over dinner about sex magic. And so here we are. Amazing. Yeah. And so today we are talking about something that we've never really discussed before here on the podcast, and that is sex magic, aka the reason that we're all here. Um, In the words of Mary Oliver, you know, all things are inventions of holiness, um, some more rascally than others. And, you know, parents, if you haven't given your witchy child the talk yet, maybe save this up for another day. So yeah, this is going to be really fun. And in anticipation of this episode, I was looking up all the different interpretations and definitions of sex magic. And it was hard to choose just one because there are a lot of opinions out there. Mm -hmm. But I found this one from Llewellyn that I liked. It says, quote, Sex magic directs the energies raised during sensual arousal to achieve a desired goal. Western sex magic often uses alchemical terminology, although its sources go back to ancient shamanism, pre-Christian pagan practices, and some sects of Gnosticism. Basic concepts include the extension of sensual activity to build up the energy and that the thought held at orgasm comes to pass. Prominent proponents include the OTO, Louis T. Colleen, and Aleister Crowley. In recent decades, these Western practices have been influenced by Indian and Tibetan Tantra, as well as Chinese Taoist alchemy, end quote. So a pretty thorough definition there from Llewellyn, Mm -hmm. but I also found one that said, sex magic is a ritual where we harness orgasmic energy to bring about a desired outcome. And I think that also gets the point across. Totally. 
Um, I'm going to quote Sophie St. Thomas, the author of Sex Witch. Um, I attended her book launch here at St. Vitus in Brooklyn a few months ago, a party complete with burlesque and live readings and tarot. But in her book, she defines sex magic as, and I quote, believe it or not, sex magic is not just spells to attract more sex. Sex magic is harnessing your orgasms for manifestation. Sexual energy is powerful. It's potent. It's so goddamn strong that you can use it for more than pleasure. You can use sex magic for sex, but you don't have to. You can use it for whatever the hell you want. What do you want? Perhaps a book deal, more money, or to marry your current partner. Work on your visualization skills. Visualization is crucial to witchcraft. Sex magic can be practiced alone or with a partner, but masturbation is usually preferred. Why? Well, imagine someone humping you while trying to make a candle spell. Another person can be an annoying distraction, plus, as it's hard to find good dick, witches often sleep with muggles. End quote. Amazing. Thank you, Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes. All the way. Yes. Kate, how do you define sex magic? You know, for me, the most magic spell of all has been embracing my sexuality. And this can mean a lot of things depending on the moment for me. But today, I think that in a world where pleasure is policed, sex is shamed, sex magic needs to be and is for everyone. It is kink positive, pleasure focused for all genders, orientations, and is active. As a queer and bisexual witch, the sex-positive revolution is here, and we're casting spells with orgasms and sexual energy. What's your definition? Mm, I like that. Thanks. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to try and top any of these definitions that we've said, um, because they're all so great. But to me, sex magic is energy work. Mm. The magician Aleister Crowley, which love him or hate him, said that sex was the supreme magical power. And I think that's true, which is maybe why certain groups try to associate sex with shame. Because if we learn to tap into that power, which is always available to us, what else might we find? Yes. start with a very obvious statement here, and that is that the realm of sex magic is vast. There are many theories about how one might perform any magical practice, so sex magic is no different. Just like seed spells or candle magic or breath work, sex magic can be employed for manifesting, energy work, or healing. And while society's views about sex have warped and twisted over time, there were plenty of ancient civilizations, such as Greece and Egypt, that viewed sex as sacred and a way to receive divine blessings from the goddess. Absolutely. I love that. Sacred sex. Yes. And, you know, today, because we view sex 
a certain way and are well aware of societal sexual taboos, it can be challenging to think of sex as this divine, spiritual, healing experience instead of just a form of physical, bodily gratification or something tied to marriage and virginity. For me, working with archetypes is so helpful in my craft. And to understand more about sex magic, I think the sacred sex worker is probably one of the most interesting and compassionate archetypes available to us. We see this archetype in goddesses like Isis, Inanna, and Ishtar. Also Mary Magdalene, the Black Madonna, and Aphrodite. I should also clarify that the sacred sex worker archetype has nothing to do with having sex for money. It's a sacred rite performed for healing, fertility, sometimes divine union. When the goddess was worshipped, people would visit her temples, be it that of Aphrodite or Isis, and her priestesses, the sacred sex workers, would share the goddess's blessings through intercourse and intimate acts. These women were revered, respected, and considered holy, a stark contrast from how society views those who have quote, too much sex. This went on until patriarchal religions began to take root and the priestesses, the goddess, and the concept of sex as a spiritual healing practice was cast out. I love this. And, you know, I also want to throw in a random fact that the word orgy comes to us from Latin orgia, referring to secret rites, mysteries, especially those of Bacchus or Dionysus. And these sorts of ecstatic, sexual, bacchanalian moments were a form of worship. So orgia was popularly thought to have involved sex, but while sexuality and fertility were cultic concerns, the primary goal of the orgia was to achieve a union with the divine. So interesting. And I also should mention that I'm using the term sacred sex worker, although sacred prostitute is the term that was historically used, but sex worker feels more progressive and more right. So that's the term that we're using today. Mm-hmm. So sort of taking a bit of a hard left here, but when I was researching sacred sexuality and thinking about sex as an avenue for spiritual awakening or evolution, so to speak, I couldn't help but think of kundalini. For anyone who isn't familiar with this expression, kundalini or shakti is a coiled serpent that sits at the base of our spine, not far from our sex organs. There are yogis, people who meditate, energy workers, people who partake in tantric practices that long to awaken kundalini. In theory, during a kundalini awakening, which can happen spontaneously or through practice and ritual, Shakti uncoils and moves up the spine. As she moves past each energy center, we become more open and receptive to divine guidance our aura and awareness expands. Once kundalini reaches our third eye and crown, or the pineal and pituitary centers, we are now fully awake and kundalini has risen. And while there's a lot of emphasis placed on awakening the third eye, the lower energy centers by our sex organs are where it all begins. I think that engaging in sex magic or sacred sexuality in ways that feel safe to us are a way to work with these energies, 
learn how they feel, how to move them up our spine if that's our goal, eliminate energetic stagnation, and get to know our precious and ever-present life force in a more intimate way. And there's actually quite a bit of science behind this, you know, moving that spinal fluid up the spine so it sort of compresses and massages the pineal gland. But I won't get into that now because it's a lot of big words and I don't think we have time. But (laughs) if anyone wants, you know, like the sciencey version, just send me a DM or an email and I can share some sources. goddess and sacred sexuality are so interesting, and I will happily fall down that rabbit hole any day. However, if you're wondering, okay, but how does this relate to me today in 2022? I hear you. Unfortunately, there's still so much stigma around sex and sex work in general, so wanting to embody the sacred sex worker might feel or sound unnatural or uncomfortable, or taboo at first, but not when you consider what that can look like. Former cognitive therapist Amelia Fisher words it so beautifully. She says, The modern embodiment of the sacred prostitute archetype is someone who uses their sexuality for positive and spiritual purpose as a means of achieving a higher purpose in life or helping others. This may encompass people such as sex therapists or simply those who view sexuality as a positive means of connecting with other people or on a higher spiritual plane. They believe in sexual energy as a source of life and creativity, capable of bringing greater awareness and connectivity to those who can benefit from it. End quote. So I don't know if I can say or even want to say that sex magic and sacred sex are one and the same, because I think sacred sex is just one form of sex magic. Mm -hmm. But I do sort of like venturing into these shadow parts, reframing my views on sex and how it can look beyond a patriarchal lens, and also connecting with goddesses who can shed some light on sacred sex and sex magic and what that might offer us in this lifetime. Totally. And, you know, I think also I'd love to mention here that there's so much work to be done around new spaces. Um, As a survivor, I know that the ways in which I have seen sex, sexuality manipulated through abuses of power and violence, especially, like you just said, through a patriarchal lens, it separated many of us from our sexual magic as a protective mechanism. And so, listeners, if you are processing this sort of trauma, I just want to say that we see you and there are so many resources that can help um, support you through this and that you're not alone. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we're ready for it, sacred sex can be a reclamation in many ways. Mm -hmm. Like my version of sex doesn't have to match what the media shows or what this religious group says or anyone else, especially those who abuse it. So, Kristen, you mentioned some goddesses earlier that fall under the sacred sex worker archetype or 
who have worked with sacred sexuality in some form. So do you have one or two that you really like? Yes, I have several, actually. Mm. I think Aphrodite is the goddess that comes to mind first. She can be petitioned for nearly anything, but is most well-known for her ties to sex, fertility, um, and also war, although her warrior attributes were suppressed over time. Also, Isis, whose nickname, the Mistress of Magic, I love. She is the Egyptian goddess of healing and, not surprisingly, magic. She was a talented sorceress, which we see when she resurrects Osiris. And she is also said to possess more Heka, which is another word for magic, than all of the gods. And I also have to mention Inanna, also known by her Babylonian name Ishtar, who is the Sumerian goddess of fertility, love, sex, also war. It says that all acts of love and pleasure are her rituals. Mm. She was associated with the planet Venus and as a goddess of sexual liberation and empowerment and one that does not conform to gender-related boundaries. She is said to have employed transgender priests and priestesses in her temple. I think I also relate um, quite a bit to Inanna because of the story that explains how she became the goddess of sex and love. Are you familiar with this one, Kate? Yeah, I am, actually. Um, I took this amazing workshop with uh, Ariana Rines, the poet who did kind of like a whole um, untangling of the Inanna initiation. So, yes, please, please share. Well, maybe you should tell the story then, but I'll give a really like quick, quick version here. Um, But in part of this myth, Inanna asks her twin brother to accompany her to Cure, which I'm probably um, not pronouncing right, but it's K-U-R. And that was a place where sacred, magical plants grew. She wants to eat a piece of fruit from the Tree of Knowledge— relatable, to learn about intimacy because she says she knows nothing. And after she eats the fruit, she's sort of reborn and realizes the power of her sexuality. Yeah, uh, I love the initiation of Inanna and how she must go to the underworld to be reborn, you know. And I think that this is like such a metaphor for growing into our sexuality. Um, Kelly, I think it's Buseman. Um, wrote an article for The Cut titled, um, I think about this a lot, a Sumerian goddess's demand to have her vulva plowed, in which she explores the lines from the epic where Inanna says, My vulva, the horn, the boat of heaven, is full of eagerness like the young moon. My untilled land lies follow. As for me, Inanna, who will plow my vulva? Who will plow my high field? Who will station the ox there? So an icon, build an altar to her, read the epic. (laughs) Yeah, this sounds like a must read. So uh, we'll definitely add a link to this in our show notes for anyone curious. And I think um, as far as goddesses, um, last but not least, I'm also learning about Mary Magdalene and her relationship to the sacred sex worker, as well as the lover's card in tarot. Mm. Marie Howe, who is the poet laureate of New York, um, has a book called Magdalene, which is just like the most stunning collection of poems um, reimagining Mary Magdalene that you may be interested in. 
Oh, thank you. I'll have to look that up. I just started reading Magdalene Rising by Elizabeth Cunningham, which I'm loving so far. Mm, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, I always Mm -hmm. think it's so interesting, like figures from my biblical past showing up in witchy ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And I always loved Mary Magdalene in Sunday school as a child. And so now I feel like I know why. Oh, for sure. Total goddess vibes. Mm, You know, I also took a course with Sarah Gottesteiner on the lover's card a few weeks ago, and I love that you brought that up because we are in the lover's year, and Mm -hmm. I really love what she spoke about with the lover's card because she spoke about it referencing becoming more embodied and more ourselves uniquely, freely, and artistically so that we could join better in partnership and better support the collective. And I love this as a form of divine partnership. And it's definitely something that I've been asking myself in my own practice. Um, How do you view the lovers, Kristen? Well, I really like the interpretation you just shared. Um, But yeah, you know, the lovers are connected physically, emotionally, sexually, consciously. Like you said, they speak to divine partnership, but Mm -hmm. I think also vulnerability. Like, they're not afraid to be naked, to embody their lust and passion, which we're told to hide or only show to certain people at certain times. And I don't know, I think both sacred sex and the lovers ask us to be vulnerable, even without a partner. You know, put down our shields, lean into our desires, and see what they're trying to communicate to us. Totally. And, you know, to tie back into the biblical, the gospel, according to Thomas, says, and this is actually the epigraph of that Marie Howe book, but um, his disciples said, when will you be visible to us and when will we see you? He said, when you undress and are not ashamed. I'm not versed in really anything biblical, Mm -hmm. so I've never heard that, but I really, I really love it. I feel like this is all so especially potent for this recording that's being cast on the new moon in Aquarius in bulk and Lunar New Year. So I would love to walk our listeners through a basic sex magic spell if that works for you, Kristen. Yes, please. All right, so get comfy, listeners. Um, This can look different for everyone. And I also want to acknowledge that orgasms are not an easy state for all bodies. And so orgasm does not have to be the goal of the spell if that's not what resonates for you. So you're going to begin your sex magic spell by visualizing, much like Sophie St. Thomas mentioned earlier. Visualization is such an important part of witchcraft. So just think about exactly what you're looking to manifest or achieve and imagine the full feeling of it, the why of it, exactly what you're doing, wearing, saying, you know, maybe who you're with. And spend some time with this visualization, um, just really reveling in the joy and the magic and the intention of it. Then You're going to begin to self-pleasure, so maybe this is in a bath with candles and intentional herbs or in your bed or some other place that makes you feel relaxed and magical. So 
While you do this, continue on with your visualizing and the casting of your spell. If orgasms resonate with you, when you do come, direct all of your energy at this one particular vision and imagine that it has already happened and come to pass. If orgasms don't resonate with you, just direct your sexual energy toward that same spell. And after you're done, take a nap, relax, dream, read a book, or journal about your spell. So whatever feels right to you, this is sex magic. You know, this is how I managed to take 13 planes this summer with no delays, cancellations, or people who didn't understand personal space sitting next to me. So sex magic can be as practical, point proven, or whimsical as you like. And like The Sex Witch book said that we quoted earlier, you know, it doesn't have to focus on sex as the outcome, but also it can, um, just a little bit more inspiration. You know, I know a lot of witches who love to practice sex magic to raise the numbers in their bank account. So see which sort of spells work for you. Amazing. And if any of our listeners out there in the witch web practice sex magic or sacred sexuality, we would love to hear from you. But I think this is all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where we talk about working with the ancestors. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time.